You are listening to a Whitebridge Baptist Church sermon podcast. Heavenly Father, our God, we come to you because we don't know where else we can go. We come to you, O oh Father, because you're the, the eternal God. And we come to you because we live in this church age. We live in this time when, when you call us to fast and to pray and to call out to you because we're, we're desperate, Lord, for your coming. Jesus, come. Because we, we know that when you come, Lord Jesus, you will set all things straight. You will set everything right. You will turn what's upside down and make it right side up. You will bring justice to the, to the nations. You will you'll put right the things that are out of order, O oh God. We know that when you come, Lord Jesus, you're going to be the solution. And you've asked us, O oh God, to be in your place right now, the solution on earth. The people, the hands, the feet of God in this place. Lord, raise up your church in all this earth where they are. We pray you'd raise them up with power and strength to fear not their very lives for the sake of the gospel, that the God of love that loves all the nations could be made known, that Jesus Christ, the hope of the nations, could be made known, Lord, in every place that we've spoken of and prayed for. And Father, there's so many others that we haven't talked about. We pray, Lord, would you make us part of the solution in the way that we pray, Father. We confess that in our own private prayer lives, we often miss the big things of prayer. We pray for our own families. We pray for our own lives. We pray for our own world and work and so on. But, oh God, so often we don't pray for these bigger things that are on your heart. So, Lord, we would ask you that you'd teach us on Sundays to do that better. We ask you, Father, that you'd minister, Lord, to us. Raise us up to be a lighthouse in this community and in our families and in our workplaces and schools. And, Jesus, even this morning as we get ready to open your word, we pray, give us the grace to respond by your Holy Spirit's power so that whatever we do differently this year, compared to other years in the outworking of our discipleship, that it would be because of love for you, O God, supreme love for you. May that be the heartbeat of this church and of each one of us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you take your Bibles and turn to Matthew's Gospel? Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22. One of the occasions when Jesus quoted this very oft-quoted passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6, which is called the Shema, which was a a very important text for Israel, ancient Israel, as they would gather to worship and they would say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. And, uh, And then added to that, Jesus says, Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Would you stand with me? as ancient Israel would stand every time they would recite the Shema. And would you stand and and let me read to you the scripture that is found in Matthew 22, beginning with verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together, and one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. May God bless his word. You may be seated. 
Pastor Doug is going to come now. We're going to share the message this morning. And Pastor Doug, if you've been around our church for a while, you know that his role is all about discipleship in our church family. And uh, we are seeking to be more intentional about what being a disciple is all about and what making disciples is all about. And when we talk about our own discipleship, we're not talking just about how I, as an individual, grow in my maturity, in my faith, to become more like my Savior, Jesus. We're also talking about how we, in our faith, grow so that we will be held responsible and can be entrusted by the Lord God to bring others to maturity in their faith in Jesus Christ. So we're not just looking at our own discipleship, but rather, as well, how we make disciples of others. And so, Doug, would you come now and share with us some of the intentional things that we're doing this fall. God bless you. As followers of Christ, it's a wonderful thing that discipline, it doesn't always sound like an attractive word, but for us, being a disciple means that we want to become more and more lovers of God, lovers of others, that we want to be immersed in the love of Jesus Christ. A discipline is only helpful to the point that it gets us into the presence of God. That's what disciplines do. When they're used well, it's not to help us achieve a different goal other than get into the presence of God, learn to abide in Christ, and He's responsible for the fruit that will come from that. Too often we can get caught up on the fruit that we're trying to, to develop in our life, and God says, abide in me, spend time with me, and that fruit will develop. And so we need to ask ourselves, what does it look like to be a maturing follower of Christ? And that's when, and over the last uh, months of summer, we've been going through the book of Titus. The theme has been growing in godliness. We've been making you more and more aware of the discipleship continuum that we're using to help us understand what does it mean to, to initially fall in love with the Lord, to be in infancy, and then to grow in a maturing love with Him. And I'm just going to go a quick uh, preview of that again. The starting point, though, is always Christ. When someone asks us, what does it mean to be a Christian? It's not about church attendance or reading my Bible. Those are things that are important. But it's all about the person of Jesus Christ. And the joy in front of me is not just heaven someday. It's Christ in me now. It's the Holy Spirit in me now. Taking me from an awareness of who Christ is to developing in me Christ-likeness. That the Holy Spirit lives in me and lives through me to the glory of God. That's what it's about, being a disciple of Jesus Christ. For us, the key for us to grow in this area is being people who are firmly grounded in the Word of God, who correctly handle the Word of truth. That's how we keep our focus on Christ. In this world, it's so easy for us to be distracted. Is that true for you? during the week that life just goes. Sometimes my personal decisions aren't what honors the Lord, and all of a sudden, my focus on Christ is blurry. And Scripture says, keep your focus on Christ because He is the initiator of your faith. He's responsible for your faith, and He's the perfecter of your faith. He's the one who causes us to grow. So keep your eyes on Him. So that's why we unashamedly say that we are people who honor God by getting to know Him through His Word. We preach through books of the Bible and we want to study the Bible together. We want you to come here and hear the Word of God on Sunday morning, but we want you to go home and study that Scripture too so you get more immersed in who God is and His Word so that you are prepared throughout the week to share what God has placed on your heart with others so that they might come to know Christ as well. You are each disciple-makers. If you have given your life to Christ, that is the joy in front of you is that God wants to use you to help someone else know Him. 
So ground yourself in Him. Ground yourself in His Word. We provide scripture studies that are free online every week that are cool with the message. They, they go deeper into the passage that we preached about that morning. And we've been blessed that the three companies have allowed us through the study Bibles to take notes, uh, to use their notes and to make a, a handout. So you're going to see the NIV scripture, the Holman Christian Standard Bible, that will be the scripture of that Sunday. And then there will be notes from these study Bibles in there. There's also notes from a New American Commentary. There's also questions in there that help you dig into scripture more and also help you to have conversations with others. Because that's what we want to be. We want to be people who talk about Jesus. We want to talk about how the Word is challenging our thought life and transforming our mind. So please make use of that. And if you want to, you can buy the notes for $3 or in a binder for 5 But it's free. We're doing everything we can to make encountering Christ and His Word accessible to you. So this is the rest of the continuum. And remember that this is not just for us as individuals. This is us as a church. This is what maturity looks like for us as a church. There's a few different realms of this continuum that all fall under that banner of Christ to Christ-likeness. From infancy, we go from our character to integrity. We go from community to unity. From service to servanthood. From gratitude to praise. And finally, from witness to fruitfulness. All these areas are things that are meant to be growing in our life. And the beauty is that God wants to use us and His grace to be His presence to others. And He wants to be fruitful through our lives for His glory and again, our good. I talked with one of our young adults this last week and she had expressed that she was thankful for the discipleship continuum. That when she first saw it, she thought, ah, big deal, it's just a continuum, right? But as we were going through the book of Titus, she started to understand more about the depth of faith the depth of who we are in Jesus Christ. And as she worked at camp, that she was able to talk with her her campers more adequately, more deeply about what it means to be a Christ follower. That's what we're hoping that this does, is that it helps us to think not just about, again, heaven someday, or not just about the milk of our faith. It helps us get into the meat of our faith. And that's what we need to do. Um, today, as you leave, you're going to be given a brochure that looks like this, and it's just called Connecting Points. Um, Connecting Points, hopefully, that help you connect with God and also that help you connect with others. And uh, when you open it up, you're going to see a number of opportunities that are from now till Christmas time. There's headings here about different groups you can be involved in, studies, ministries, events. And uh, we're hoping that you will look at this prayerfully and choose one or two things. Don't look at everything and say, how can I possibly do this all? You can't. But choose one or two things that you say, in order to enhance my relationship with God and with others, I'm going to commit to being involved with this. And I'm going to try to invite someone to join me. Because learning is increased when we share it with someone else and we're able to talk about those things. And so I really hope that uh, you'll be encouraged as you see what we're offering as a church family this year and that you will choose one or two things to help you intentionally grow in Christ. I'm going to share four things with you this morning that I I hope will be of interest to you. The first one is a course called Christianity Explored. And this takes us through the Gospel of Mark in eight sessions. And the goal is to help us know more clearly who Jesus is. So if you're a new believer, this will really help ground you in the person of Jesus Christ. If you've been someone who's a Christian for a while, and you're very familiar with Christ, but you're not sure if you'd be comfortable sharing Christ with others yet, and talking about Him intelligibly, this is another course that could prepare you to be a disciple maker. 
It's going to be happening on Tuesdays at a home here in White Ridge from 6.30 to 8.30, and this starts in October. I want you to take note of this. Everything that we're talking about, these next four, they all start in October. That means you have a couple of weeks to look at your calendar, to adjust your schedule, and to say, I want to attend this. This is important for my faith. You have time to figure it out. And uh, in Christianity Explored, there, these are some of the topics that we'll be covering. Good news. What are we doing here? Identity. Who is Jesus? Sin. Why did Jesus come? The cross. Why did Jesus die? Resurrection. Why did Jesus rise? Grace. How can God accept us? We're going to spend one session talking about abiding, listening carefully, asking humbly, choosing wisely. That's going to be one session. And finally, come and die. What does that mean for me to to die to myself and live in Christ, to rely on the Holy Spirit for my daily living? Those are some of the topics that we'll be covering. And I hope that that will work for some of you to join us those evenings in a house again here in White Ridge. This idea of coming and dying, we need to understand that God has a purpose for our lives. On Wednesdays, John Bergman and I are going to be teaching a class here in the church lobby called Life Keys. And this talks about who you are, why you're here, and what you do best. This is important, especially for people who are experiencing transition, wondering what the next step is. You might be 18 going into university. You might be 65 having just retired. And you're wondering, Lord, what do you have for me next? This is a great course to come and consider how God wants to work through you to be a blessing to others. Some of the topics are, what are your life gifts? What are your values? What are your spiritual gifts? What's your personality type? Your passions and your life choices? And how are you wired to serve? What are some areas that God might want you to explore to glorify Him in service? And then finally, on uh, Thursdays, there's going to be Discipleship Explored. This is a companion to Christianity Explored. This is taking people through the Gospel of Philippians. It's actually following the series, or we're following this series this fall as we go through the book. And this is just helping us understand how does God want me to grow in Him? And we're just looking at one book, the book of Philippians. And this is going to be happening again here at a house in White, uh, in White Ridge from 6.30 to 8.30 for eight weeks. And uh, some of the topics are listed here. What you'll notice is for all of the eight weeks, the key phrase is in Christ, being confident in Christ, transformed by Christ, knowing Christ, rejoicing in Christ. Everything about discipleship has to do with getting to know Christ and living in him. That's the beautiful future we have, is getting to know our Savior more and more. So I hope that you'll consider Thursdays. The Bible tells us that we are supposed to delight ourselves in the Lord. And when we do, he gives us the desires of our heart. Young in my faith, this verse confused me because I think, Lord, I'd ask you for a lot of stuff, but I don't seem to get it. And I love you. Why don't I get these things? And God helped me realize that this delighting in the Lord, what this means is when I delight in God, I don't really think too much about the circumstances around me so much. I think about him. I think about his character. I think about how awesome he is, how wonderful he is. And as I think about him and worship him, he says, Doug, I will give you myself. And I will make you like me. That's a beautiful truth. That our discipleship is based in delight. That's what God wants us to do, is to delight in him. I read a quote from John Piper in a a book a long time ago, probably when I was in my early 20s, and it said this. If all you have is a decision for Christ and not delight in Christ, you don't have Christ. That phrase haunted me. 
I struggled with that because I knew that I believed the truth of Scripture. I loved the Lord for what He did for me on the cross and His Holy Spirit. But I couldn't honestly say that I had a delight in the Lord. And that haunted me. And honestly, for three years, that was my continual prayers. Lord, I'm not delighting in you. Please help me learn what it means to delight in you. And there's seasons of my life now where that still comes up. Lord, I I don't seem to delight in you. I don't want to be living just right doctrine or I don't want to be living duty. I want to live in a delight of you. So the question comes up, what do I do when I don't desire God? How do I live when that's not really what my heart feels? Another thing that we want to offer you as a church family is that during the first service starting on October the 19th, we're going to offer an elective. And this is going to be the focus What do I do when I don't desire God? And the subtitle is Fighting for Joy. How to Fight for Joy. This is is so crucial to having a healthy relationship with God and to have a healthy relationship with others. And I hope that you will consider attending that. Again, that's going to be every Sunday from 9 till 10.15 starting October the 19th. And with that, I'm going to ask Pastor Terry to come and, and again delve a little bit more deeply into the passage that we read earlier this service. Oops, sorry. Ten years ago, when the book that uh, the elective on Sunday morning is going to use was published, this is the book, When I Don't Desire God by John Piper. Uh, that's a curriculum they're going to use. And ten years ago, when it was published, uh, we were in our first term as missionaries in uh, Bolivia. And one of the folks that were from, uh, from the church that I'd previously pastored in Thunder Bay sent us a copy of that book, this copy. And I'll tell you, we just ate it up. We read it right away. It was, uh, it was uh, water to our hearts. It was a, a, a fresh reminder of, uh, of the fact that we do have to fight for our joy. It's not, the things that matter in life don't always come easily. And, and there's things that you can do about your delighting in God, your passion for God, even though in those dry times when you don't have that passion, there's things you can do to encourage and give your appetite over and your affections over to God. You see, see the bottom line is that probably we take the whole issue of delight not seriously enough. Because, you see, we have, we have been you know, sufficiently satisfied with delighting, taking pleasure in, being satisfied with other things in this world that the world offers us, instead of taking the highest joy and delight in the things that God offers us through Jesus Christ. And that's really what the passage of Scripture that we're looking at has to say to us today. When Jesus quotes it, or when... Moses first said it, the whole essence of the message is the same. Love the Lord your God with all your being, all your heart and soul and strength and mind. I mean, what could there be more of of an all-encompassing statement than that? David talks about, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My my heart longs for you. My soul pants for you. Um, the, the writers of Asaph in the other Psalm 73, he says, Who do I have in heaven but you? And earth is nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You see, these, were, these psalms and poems were written out of the experience of those who had fought for their joy in God. 
They were written out of the experience of those who knew what it was like to go through difficult times. David wrote that one Psalm 63 about thirsting after God when he was in the desert running from Saul, you know, in a bad way. But but these times were were carved out of an experience of someone who had said, "I've, I've tasted what this world offers. I've tasted of these pleasures, and they do not satisfy. I need God. That's what it's all about. And, that, and God says, guess what? I, I made you to need me. I made you to love me with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And so the passage of Scripture that is before us is all about delighting in God, taking this thing called joy seriously. In Deuteronomy chapter, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, called the Shema, there is that bold statement to love the Lord our God with all of our being, Think about the context of this passage just for a moment. The first time that Moses gave the law was after Israel had been slaves in Egypt for over 400 years. And they came out of Egypt and in Exodus we read about the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. Now this, Deuteronomy, which means second law, is the second giving of the law. And why at this transition? Because they're now having wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, are ready to enter the promised land of Canaan. And so God gives them the law. And if you read Deuteronomy, it's all about, don't forget me when you get into that land flowing with milk and honey, when all of life is rosy, when your enemies are beaten, when I've given you over this wonderful gift, don't forget me. That's what Deuteronomy is all about. It's the second giving of the law. Love me with all your heart like you were made to do. I preach this today, we, we talk about this text today because it's a transition for us. September is a transitional month. You're moving back into your work life, your school life, your family life, your routine life, whatever it looks like. And I'm saying to you this morning, when you get back into that life, don't forget the most important thing. And the most important thing for any child of God is the same. It's love Him with all of your being. Now, how does that look? That's the question that we want to ask this morning is, what does that look like? If someone from another culture, remote, so remote from yours, or a Martian from another planet, were to come to earth and track with you for one week, shadow you around 24-7, what would the report at the end of the week say about how you love God? You know, what would, that, what would that report look like? That's, the, that's the, the nuts and bolts of what we want to talk. What does it look like when we say we love God with our whole being? What does it look like? How do we fight for joy? Because the fact is, it's hard to let God be our all in all, all the time. If you have your Bibles open to Deuteronomy chapter 6, the first thing I want to say is found right after the key words in the Shema, what after, right after in verse 6, Moses writes this. He says, These commandments that I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. Now that's number one. These commandments are to be upon your hearts. You see, you don't have to spend too long with someone to know what's on their hearts. Jesus gave us the reason for that. He said, Because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. You don't have to be with somebody very long at all and spend some time with them before you're going to hear 
what's on their hearts. And the fact is, you know, there are all kinds of affections on our hearts at any given day. There are all kinds of things that we love. You might love something that I don't love and your interests are different than mine and so on. God's not against uh, a life. He's not asking us to live this thin life here on earth. He's asking you to enjoy life. There's many affections on your hearts, but he's saying, I must be supreme. I must be the top of anything that is in your heart. Love me with all of your being. And so the number one point here is that he has to be on our hearts. He has to be the one that's top, king of our hearts. Our hearts are idol-making factories. And, and one day it'll be one thing, another day it might be another, but your idols are not my idols and so on. But the point is you must determine every day, sanctify Christ as Lord, as God supreme in your heart every day. That's the battle. That's how you fight for joy. And the reason that that's so important is because you're never going to be able to impress it on anybody else if it's not on your heart first. In this book that, uh, that the gang is going to be studying on Sunday morning starting in October, uh, John Piper quotes from uh, uh, G.K. Chesterton, who is a, a, a theologian writer in the early part of the 20th century, and his famous book called Orthodoxy, he, he writes this. You know how children will say, do it again? You know how they, you know, you, you, you make a funny noise with your mouth and, and uh, they'll say, do it again? Or you'll throw them up in the air and they'll say, do it again? Because they never get tired of it? Well, G.K. Chesterton says this. Children always say, do it again. And, grown up person, and the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never gotten tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we are. And Piper adds this. He says, I linger over this point that seeing the glory of God may not require making a trip to the mountains or buying a ticket to the theater, but only opening our eyes because I believe untold resources for mental health and spiritual joy in God lie all around us if we would but open our eyes. You see, the point is that we, we, we lose our love for God. Our passion for Him grows dim. Why? Because we have not retained that childlike faith that says, Do it again, O God. Here's another day for you. Lord, do it again. Wean me from all that is of this world and of this flesh and do it again to make Jesus Christ supreme in my heart. You see, that's a daily prayer. That's fighting the good fight of faith. That's waking up to joy every morning and saying, I choose to live for God today. And so the first thing I want to say is have these commandments of love for God on your heart. Secondly, Moses goes on in verse 7 and he says, impress them on your children. Impress this supreme command to love God with your whole being on your children. And that's a very strong word, this word impress. But how is it that you could ever impress anyone around you if he's not first on your own heart. That's why he starts there. 
And then you ask, well, how is it that you can impress upon others love for God so radical and supreme? Well, Moses goes on to say how it's done. He says, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. That's how you do it. That's how you fight for joy. That's how you remind yourself. That's how you keep love for God flame burning. Talk about it. What do you talk about when you get up in the morning? What do you talk about in those last hour or so before you go to bed at night in your family? Or if you live alone, who is it that you interact with, whether it's texting or phoning or email or whatever? What do you talk about? When you're sitting at home around the table or when you're walking along the way en route to work or school, what is it you talk about? That's number one, Moses said. That's how you show your love for God. That's how you keep joy in God burning is Talk about him. Talk about his ways. Secondly, tie them as symbols on your hands. Now, what does that look like with your car, your clothing, your jewelry, your house? Symbols. God says this is good. Symbols are things that can remind you of the most important things. Tie them as symbols. Then bind them on your foreheads in Jewish culture. Uh, This was something they did. Doug was saying to me today uh, between services that they, they put them on your hands so that you can see Put them on their foreheads because they wanted others to see. It's not something we would do in our culture. It's a Jewish thing culture-wise. But, but what is it that we can do that's visible that makes us a reminder of God and of why we love Him with our whole being? And then he says, write them on the door frames and gates in your homes. What a, what a thing, what a place art and photography and posters and scripture and all these things could have just on your home itself, your environment where you live. Some stranger walks into your house. What, what are the impression they get? They, they scan through all the DVDs in your bookshelf or the books in your bookshelf or, or the things that are around. What do they get the impression of? Do they get the impression, wow, these people love God? Or do they get the impression, no, these people love a lot of things? Not sure what's supreme. And somehow, all I'm saying in this is that this is how we do it, friends. This is how we can make decisions right now about this fall. We can make decisions as, as individuals or as families. We can make decisions that say, we're going to talk this way about this. We're going to make a decision to do this. We're going to change the art this way. We're going to sit and talk about this this way. We're going to watch these things. We're going to view this. We're going to listen to this music. And so on. There's a ton we can do, friends. That's what Moses is teaching Israel. It's pertinent to us. And then thirdly, Moses in this same chapter in verse 12 and also later on in verses uh, 20 and following, he talks about how God delivered Israel from Egypt, from slavery. And so the point is, don't forget who God is and what he's done. That's the other way that you... Keep this delighting in God, this love for God alive. Don't forget what he's done. Don't forget who he is. He's a jealous God. He's not going to share your heart with other affections, supreme affections. he's, He's a jealous God, and he's a God that delivered us. That's a picture. Israel in slavery in Egypt and being delivered is a picture of every one of us who knows Jesus. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, was slain. And in his blood being shed, he gave us absolute redemption from sin. Gave us the hope of eternal life. 
And so don't ever forget that. Don't let that story get monotonous. Don't lose the childlike face that always wants to hear, tell me the old, old story. Because you see, that's the very story that will be our theme in all of eternity. As the worship team comes forward, I want us to respond this morning to what we've been listening. And I I really, as we designed this service, our, our goal is that we would respond in this last song by giving back to God our hearts, our affections. If you've wandered away, if you've become distracted, if you feel that this transitional moment of September is a good time to get back on track, why don't you now, as we sing this song, say to your Father in heaven, God, I want, I want to go back there. I want, I want to go back to where I began. I want that childlike faith. You know, I, I thought of it this morning as I was preparing again. When we're commanded to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and soul and strength and mind, the question that I want to say in response to that command is, what's there not to love? <laughs> Amen? I mean, what's there not to love about God? This God of love, this hope for the nations, this being that created us in our mother's wombs, that before time began knew all about us and chose to redeem us. This God that is eternally going to be our our focus of praise because of what he's done through his son Jesus Christ. What's not to love? And so would you bring your heart to him today, even as we close the service now, and, and give him your devotion in a fresh way. God bless you.